Merry Christmas. And there you go. Well done. And did you know the etymology of the word Christmas? That it is two words, right? Christ and Mass that have been put together, right? So Christ, not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title that is given to him in Scripture that means the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, right? So it's not Jesus' last name, but it is what he is doing, is what he is accomplishing for us as our God, as our Lord. And then Mass, right? Religiously speaking, that is a service where people come together and you hear the, God, you hear the Word of God, you do things that proclaim the Word of God, and then you take communion together. And so we have Christ and Mass then put together, and you get the word Christmas. And so here we are in the season of Christmas, and what better way to think about the season of Christmas than to look at the story of Christmas. Now, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, and if your family is like mine, you've probably heard this story within the last 24 to 48 hours, right? Hey, we read that. I already did that. Check. I'm out, right? Do not check out. I'm going to make a gift to you. I will be done in 30 minutes. Okay? No. I know. Amen, bro. Yeah. My gift to you is I'm done in 30 minutes. Your gift to me is you stay with me for 30 minutes. So that means, now listen to me. I'm going to shoot straight with you. Um, that means some of you here got iPods or whatever in your ears. Take them out. Yeah. It means some of you got thoughts in your mind of like, hey, I got dinner coming up. I got this on my mind. I need you to stay focused and stay checked in. Um, because we are here right now at Christ's Mass, right? A service to worship Christ, to remember what Christ has done for us. And as Christians, it's never a story that we ever say, hey, I've heard it, I'm done with it, it's over. It's a story that we say, no, tell me again. Tell me, remind me again. That's why we come to communion every Sunday. Remind me again of what my Christ has done for me. Because I have to continually be reminded so that I know how good my God is. And I know no matter what goes on in my life, he is there with me. And I know that he is going to hold me and carry me through things. And I know he'll do whatever it takes to save me. Because that's the story of Christmas. Right? And that's why we are here. We are here for Christ's mass. And so the question now is Christmas has come. We're on the back side of it. What is our response to Christmas? How do I respond to the gift that has been given? And there are three things that Scripture calls us to do. One, believe, right? Believe the story. Believe the truth of who our Christ is. Believe Jesus is Lord. Two, be active. Don't just believe in the sense of say, hey, yeah, I believe it. Even Satan believes Jesus is real. Okay? And that's not getting him to heaven. Scripture warns that Satan will be punished. And he believes that. So what does it mean to believe? It means to have an active role, an active faith of saying, because I believe this, I will live in a way that shows my faith, that shows my belief. And then three, be faithful. Continually be faithful to that call. These are the three responses that God's word give us. Now look at Luke chapter 2 with me. You'll see it up on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. If you've got a device, you can look at it. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start at the beginning. You can give Pastor David a big thank you because the reason it stays a half hour is because I've cut some of this out. All right? So not God's word, but my stuff. Just there. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. 
In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with his wife Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now there's a whole lot that's put right there in those first seven verses. A whole lot historically, a whole lot geographically, a whole lot ancestrally. History, right? The telling of Jesus Christ's story, his story is fully packed into those first seven verses. And here's what you need to know about those first seven verses. They challenge any person to think about who Jesus is. Because some of you here have treated him like a myth. Some of you treat him like Santa Claus. Some of you think, well, it's a nice story, but it's not real. But that's the problem. It is real. Historically, it's real. He is real. Like there are people throughout history that testify to his realness, okay? There are people like Pliny the Younger, Tacitus, Josephus, other people outside of the people that wrote the Bible that tell you, no, this person, Jesus Christ, he is a real person. And if he's a real person, that means you've got a real issue on your hands. Because you've got to really deal with now, well, what do I do with that? If Jesus isn't just a made-up story, I've really got to now interact with, well, well who is this Jesus? Right? And what does, he, what does he mean? And what does he do? And what does that have to do with me as a person? And let's read the next couple of verses because they, they kind of keep this thought going. Starting at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Did you hear that? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, some of you may have treated Jesus like a myth. And now, historically, I'm telling you, I dare you, go look into the history books and realize that's not true. Don't live in that lie any longer. So now you got to say, well, then, what is he or who is he, Right? And verses 8 to 14 now say, hey, you've got somebody more than just a human being on your hands that you've got to deal with. Because now you've got a supernatural event. Angels have come and proclaimed this person's birth. Don't know about you, but I haven't seen angels come and proclaim anybody's birth in my lifetime. Right? This is something unique, something special. And it's something that's been verified. Now, Luke, right? Who is this guy Luke? Why do we read the book of Luke? He's a doctor. 
He's someone who in that time period was scientifically searching things out, trying to figure things out. And he writes this book, the Gospel of Luke, for the reason to tell Theophilus, this governor, hey, the things that you've heard about Jesus, the stuff that you've heard, you can be certain it's true. I've gone around. I've talked to people. I've taken notes on what they've said. I've taken notes on what they've seen. Historically, all this stuff backs up. This is the account you need to know because what you believe is real. And you don't need to doubt it. And so now you've got Jesus, right, a historical figure who is supernaturally proclaimed by the angels to be God, the God, not a God, not some special person, but the God, and he is now here. And why is he here? He is here to save you. He is here to be a savior for people who would believe. And that should make you think, like, well, what is it I need to be saved from? Like, what's going on? Now, C.S. Lewis, he was an atheist, right? Professor at Cambridge, which means he's way smarter than I was. C.S. Lewis, as he was wrestling these things out, he said this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying something really foolish that people often say about Jesus the Christ. Because many now say, hey, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a person. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of thing, uh, said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell which would be the idea of like a liar, a deceiver, right? So either he's a lunatic or he's a liar. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Now you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. When Jesus comes as the Savior of the world, he comes with a purpose. And as he proclaims throughout the rest of his life, his purpose is not to be a good moral teacher, not to be somebody who you look at and say, well, you know, that's some really nice stuff that he did. He has come with the purpose to tell you, no, you are in trouble, you need help, I am here to help you. Praise God. Amen. So now, what do you do with him? What do you do with this Jesus? And here today, I'm guaranteeing there's some of you that are here because, hey, I came with grandma and grandpa. They brought me. I wasn't signed up for this. I just was trying to be nice to them, right? And there's some of you that come here week in and week out. Because, hey, mom and dad bring me. I just show up. That's what I do. Or my wife brings me or my husband brings me or somebody, you know, like you're here. And here's the deal. You are now accountable for the truth that you've heard. You are accountable for now having to reconcile with what do I do with Jesus. And the question you should be asking yourself is what the angels proclaimed. They said glory to God in the highest and peace on earth 
with whom he is pleased. So now peace on earth isn't for everybody, but it's with whom he's pleased. So that's the question you should be asking. Well, well, who is God pleased with? Because I think I want to be in that category instead of being left alone, right? And so, well, Scripture tells us with whom God's pleased. First John tells us that if you love God, you'll obey his commandments. That if you obey his commandments, God is pleased with you. Because then you are righteous, you are holy. Here's the problem. Romans chapter 3 says there's no one holy. There's no one righteous. There's no one that seeks after God on their own. All of us have sinned, which means all of us have done things that go against God. All of us have done things that were disobedient to God. And so all of us now find ourselves in judgment of God and his wrath. And he's holy. He's just. He's worthy to do this. Okay, so there's nobody that all of a sudden is in a good spot with God. Everybody now has been put into a bad spot. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need Jesus. This is why God gave us this whole book to tell us this story. From Genesis through Revelation, there is someone to save you. It is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And here's how he does it. He comes and becomes like one of us so that he can take our place as a representative, as a lamb that would lay down his life as a sacrifice, so that he could die in our place. And by dying in our place, he says, hey, I will pay the penalty for your sin. For the things that you've done against God that were disobedient, I will take that on myself, and I will now bear that burden because the price is too great for you. You couldn't pay it back. There's nothing you could do that would earn God's favor. There's nothing that you could do that would even make God think, oh, yeah, that's, that was nice. We'll, we'll bring you back in, right? Only Christ, God himself, can come and pay this penalty. And he says, now here's the gift, the gift of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, that this gift of Christ is offered to all who will believe. That if you would believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he came to this earth and that he lived and he died so that he could conquer death for you and for me who would believe, then, he says, you can be saved. And so today, the call is to you, believe. That is the first response to Christmas, is always believe. Believe in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, believe that he has died for your sins, that he alone can save you from your sin. Believe that he alone can rescue you and that he longs to carry you through till he brings you home to heaven. Amen. Like that is the good news of Christmas. That is why we come to Christ's mass every Sunday. We do this every Sunday to hear the hope of this truth, that if we believe Romans says, if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe it in our hearts, we are saved. Okay? And so now the call has been given to you to believe. But what does belief look like? What is this action that needs to take place in my life? Because you said earlier, Pastor Tony, that even Satan believes that Jesus is real, but he's not saved, right? Well, let's look back at the story. Come back with me to Luke chapter 2. Look at what the shepherds do after they hear this message from the angels. So when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Did you hear that? Not something that we just thought up. Not just something that, hey, you know what, let's just go have a kick. No, the Lord has revealed to us something. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, the baby, lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, some of you may read the Christmas story each year, and you might end your story there. That's where Linus ends the Christmas story in the Christmas special with Charlie Brown, right? And that right there gives us enough truth that, hey, these shepherds, they came, they saw it. And then they went out and they proclaimed this great truth to all who would listen. There is a Savior, and he's been born today, and his name is Jesus. And here's how you know that God's hand was at work. Because people were glorifying and praising his name. Anytime that God's hand is at work, people don't just say, hey, good job to the other person. They say, praise God. There's God's hand at work. And that's how you know that God is with you and that God is for you. So these shepherds, not only did they believe, but they were active in that belief. They said, hey, we heard this. We went and checked it out. Right? This is what we ask you to do as people within our church is that you hear God's word proclaimed. Don't just listen to it, but go and then check it out. Look into God's word with us. See it so that it will grow in you and that your faith will continue to grow. So they went and checked it out. And then they couldn't keep it to themselves, right? They had to go and to tell others. They went and shared the truth with all those around us. Now, many of you today or this week are going to have opportunities to be with family or to be with friends. And here is a great way to share the great news of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because they're going to ask you, hey, what did you do today? Well, I went to church. Great. And that's usually how the conversation stops, right? But you have the opportunity to say, hey, I went and I heard about Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and all that he did to save me from my sin." You have the opportunity to share with them the good news just like the shepherds went and shared it. And here's the truth. We share the truth. We are not called to save. That is a God thing. Only God can open the blind, um, blind man's eyes. Only God can bring people up from the dead. We are called to share the truth. Amen. Amen. Matthew 28, right? All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. We are now called to go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and proclaiming to all the world of who our Lord and Savior is. And so, first response in Christmas is to believe. Believe this truth. The second response is to be active. Be active in going and telling the people the news of Jesus the song that we sang earlier, right? Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. That is our call as Christians, to go and tell. Why is that our call to go and tell? Because this is why we are here. 
We are here to glorify God. Jesus came to save. We are here to proclaim the good news of what our Lord and Savior has done. And then, not only are we actively proclaiming that, but then we are called to be faithful. Because this isn't where the Christmas story in one sense ends. There's a part of Christmas story that in one sense gets left out a whole lot. And it's the last few verses of this chapter in Luke chapter 2. Would you read them with me? Starting at verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord and a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. And so Mary and Joseph, the people that were called by God to be Jesus' parents, have now lived out the third response. They are being faithful to do what God has called them to do. God had called them to a special message to be the mother and the stepdad in one sense of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And they were faithfully living this out. As a matter of fact, if you drop down to the end of the chapter here, or into this section here, verse uh, 39 and 40, it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Right? Mary and Joseph were faithful. Right? Because Jesus is a baby. And this is the mystery, right? That God Almighty would become human, would become flesh. But babies can't take care of themselves. And so Mary and Joseph take care of him. And it says he grows in strength, which means they're providing for him. They're nurturing him along as he grows. Not only does he grow in strength, but he grows in wisdom, which means they're sharing with him the truth of God's word. They're sharing with him who their God is. And the story that we can't get to today, 12 years later, Jesus shows up in the temple and he's asking questions of the high priests and the teachers that amaze them. Like, who is this kid who knows all this stuff at 12 years old about God's word? And the truth is, well, Mary and Joseph have been faithful. They've continually shared with him. They've continually taken him to the temple. They've continually done the things that God had called them to do so that Jesus would know the word of God and would be able to then share and to challenge and to think through the scriptures with other people. They were faithful. And that is the call to us as people, be faithful. Now, as your children and family pastor, right, I am here to say, parents, the call is to be faithful. Throughout all of our lives, the call is to be faithful, to faithfully tell and to tell and to tell and to tell again the great news of God our Savior. That is ours. We need to believe it. We need to then have action in our belief, living it out for our kids to see it. And then we need to be faithful throughout their lives, throughout our life, showing this to be true. Now, here's the deal. I love you, so hear me clear. You all are messed up. <laughs> okay? Just got to be said. All right? 
because you are messed up, you cannot do this perfectly. And some of you are already starting to feel a burden, like, I screwed that up. I can't do that, Pastor Tony. That's why we're about to get to communion, because Christ is our Savior, right? But here's what we need to know. You are called to pursue this. You are called to be faithful in this. And the way we do that is by getting our eyes on our Lord and Savior and saying, Christ, because of what you have done for me, I will keep pursuing you. And when I find that I've messed up, and here's now where I'm going to let you know, I am messed up. When you find you've done wrong, when you find that you've not handled your kids right, when you find like, oh, there's been a season of life that's gotten away and I haven't been faithfully proclaiming the gospel to you, the good news of Christ is our Lord and Savior is there to forgive us and to then walk with us and hold us, but he wants us to then engage our kids again and let them know this, though, is the truth. This is the message that saves. This and this alone is your hope. And we are called to be faithful time and time again. And I get it. It gets hard. Like I'm getting into the teenage years with my boys. I'm getting into the early priest, whatever, with my daughter, right? And my wife and I were looking at each other and we're like, Wow, like we hit a whole new level of parenting. Like we, we got through the physical, emotional pieces, but now we're just like in the emotional, mental pieces of parenting. And I've been doing this pastoring stuff for a long time, so I've seen a lot of questions. I've talked to a lot of people, but now you're in it, right? Like, hey, i got to actually walk you through this. And I've seen then how Satan attacks. I've watched how Satan really tries to come in and hurt and kill and destroy people and then to destroy families through actions that the devil will take advantage of or people will take advantage of. And our call as parents is to be faithful. Dads, you have to stand strong. You have to continue to tell your wives, this is our God. This is why we rest in his truth. This is where we're going to stand. Now, parents, you're not the only ones that are on the hook here. Like the story of Mary and Joseph, most people just lose sight of this. They are teenagers when they are doing this. And so teens, like you got to understand, ladies, Mary's probably 13 to 16 years old when she is called on by God to be the mother of Jesus. Like that should just blow your mind, Right? As a parent, if you got a 12, 13, like, I look at my daughter and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like, if God were to come to my daughter and say, hey, you're going to be, the, you know, the mother of the Lord and Savior, would my daughter respond in Mary's Magnificent? Would she be like, oh, yes, let's do this. I, I'm here for you, Lord. Right? <laughs> like, that's big. <laughs> and then Joseph... Like, it's hard to know where Joseph's at age-wise. We, we're pretty sure he's older. How much older? Like, it ranges. Like, you got this crazy number by the Egyptians that say he's 90 years old. That's just whacked out. But, <laughs> like, most likely he's upper teens to 20s, right? And so here's a guy that's just like, hey, you got to now care for her, and you got to believe me that that baby's from God, not from somebody else, right? Like, this is where the story of Jesus gets a little R-rated more, Like. And as you get teenagers, you got to tell them this sort of stuff. you got to help walk them through like, hey, this is how hard this story is, and this is how great our God is. 
all right? Because it's not just the little nativity scene back in the day when the kids played angels and played sheep and played shepherds. There's so much more that is taking place here. And, and teenagers, the idea that you just don't think about life until you're in your 20s now, it's just foolishness. Like, I'm, I'm going to be straightforward with you guys as young men. I need you to grow up. Right? I got a daughter on the way who needs a husband. And I, like, <laughs> like, I need a godly man to be, like, ready to lead my daughter. And she's strong. Like, physically, mentally, she is there. And I need somebody, like, ready to lead her and to love her. And, like, the truth is, there's a lot of girls that are, like, pleading with God. God, would you please send a guy that would just be grown up and would just love you and would be willing to lead me and my family so that we could honor you and glorify you. And we're hurting. So, church, you got to be praying. Like, that's how messed up we are right now. Right? And then ladies. Right? Like, the tides are turning. Like, society is trying to change it and trying to give you guys all the ways out. And I'm telling you, like, we need you just as much. Like, step up to the plate and, like, love Christ. Live for Christ. Honor God. Be faithful with your life. And then kids, that's my world, right? Kids, if you're here, most of you left me. <laughs> but if you're here, like, you just got to know this stuff is real. And, and it makes a difference that you follow it from the start in your life and that you know these truths. Like, that is the call. We are called to believe. Believe in who Jesus Christ is, our Lord and Savior. We are called to be active. We are called to then be faithful. And so I promised you that I would end it half hour. So here's the deal. I'm just going to tell you the last part. After they get to the temple, Mary and Joseph, they meet two people. Anna, who is a lady who's been in the temple for like 70 years. She had been married for seven. Her husband dies. She's a widow. So she was probably a widow in her teenage years at the, early, or at the latest in her 20s, young 20s. She doesn't remarry. Instead, she lives in the temple praying, fasting, praising God all the time there, day and night, living faithfully for God. And God in his goodness to her allows her to go in the power of the Spirit to the temple on the day that Jesus is there to get dedicated. And she proclaims to the world around her, here is the Messiah. Here is our Lord and Savior Jesus. And we want women in our church to proclaim that truth. We want you to be able to testify, no, there is a great God that we serve. Know the Lord. There's also an older gentleman, Simeon, a priest there. A priest who had been given a message by God in his kindness that he would see the Christ. He would see the Lord's Messiah before he died. And he faithfully lived anticipating and expecting one day I will see the Christ. And on this day when Christ comes, the Spirit leads him to the temple, and he sees him. And it's just like John the Baptist when he sees Jesus walking, and he calls out the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Simeon goes to him and lifts him up and says, this is our Savior, a light to the Gentiles, meaning hope for all the world, and the glory of Israel, meaning, hey, he's going to save his people. This is the hope of Christmas. This is the good news of Christmas. Amen. Amen. So church, may we be believers.
May we be active in telling people. And may we be faithful in living out this story all of our days until Christ takes us home. Let me pray. God, we come before you, our God, maker of heaven and earth, who not only made heaven and earth, but God, before time even began, knew we would need a Savior and sent Jesus Christ as our Lord to come and to then be faithful and to serve and to die so that we could then be saved from our sins. And so, God, we now look to you. I pray that everyone here, God, I pray their hearts would be stirred by you to trust in you and to believe, not just in a saying of, oh, I believe God, but a real act of faith that would be faithful to the end of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.